Today we begin a brand new sermon series called Blueprints for an Effective Church, and the tagline for that is Lessons Learned or Reinforced During Quarantine. And as we begin, I, I want to tell you that I have felt very emotional about this series and this first message in particular ever since the day when my son Andrew and our high school pastor Matt Pineda and I sat in my office and added this to our 2020 preaching calendar, this sermon series. And I know that's because the church has always been such an important part of my life. In fact, I believe that the church, and I'm talking about the local church now, saved my life when I was young. I want to pause and qualify that statement. I don't have an exaggerated view of the church today. And when I say that the church saved my life when I was young, I don't mean that the church saved me in a spiritual sense. It was Jesus who saved me, and I remember every single part of that experience when I was just a boy. But the little church that I grew up in saved me in the sense that it gave me a stable place to go filled with people who loved me, who nurtured me, who encouraged me, and who believed in me from the time that I was very, very young. I think several years ago, I probably told you the story about how when I was, I don't know, I think about nine or ten years old, I was in the worship center. We called it a sanctuary back in those days. I was in the worship center on a Wednesday night. My mother was up on the stage having choir practice, and I was just standing in the middle aisle. The preacher in my church, who was an older man named Delmer DeBalt, walked up to me and did something really unusual. He reached down and he took my face in his hands, and then he knelt over and kissed me on the forehead, which honestly was kind of embarrassing for a nine or ten-year-old boy. And then he looked at me and he said, you're going to be a preacher someday. And I know he said that because he loved me and because he felt like he saw something in me. And I've never forgotten that. It was in that little church where Sunday school teachers and Bible school leaders, Bible study leaders and youth sponsors went out of their way not just to teach me, not just sometimes to corral me, but to love me in a personal way. And I know that's a huge part of why I'm standing here today. I know that's a huge part of why I've served the local church for the past 40 years. I have a love for the local church that's deeper than I can even describe. And because of that, I really believe in my heart that every single Christian should be deeply connected to the church. But sadly, that's not the case for a lot of Christians who don't seem to understand the purpose or the importance of the church in their lives of faith. I think a big part of that purpose and importance can be described by the word connection, which is where we're going to begin in this series. You don't have to study the Bible very long to see that God puts up strong emphasis on the, important, the importance of people being connected to each other. And I'm just going to limit myself to a few examples from the New Testament to try to reinforce that truth. When Jesus came into the world, one of the first things that he did as he began his public ministry was he modeled the power of connection by calling 12 disciples, 12 men to come and to follow him. Now, in that day, it was common for a Jewish rabbi to have a group of committed followers, but oftentimes the followers would be people who came to him and asked if he would teach them. Jesus did just the opposite. In fact, Jesus was very proactive in modeling 
what it looked like to be connected by choosing or calling the men that he wanted to follow him. Then when Jesus actually got started in his public ministry, he taught and modeled the importance of pursuing human connection with everyone, regardless of who they were. You see that in his teaching. I think about the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus talked about making sure that we settle matters quickly with our adversary. He talked about not resisting an evil man. The idea was responding to an evil man with humility and grace. He talked about loving your enemies and praying for people who persecute you and not judging others. In one of Jesus' most well-known teachings, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, Jesus responds to a question one day by an expert in the law who said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus responds by telling a story that teaches us that our neighbor is not just people who are like us, people who look like us and talk like us and think like us. Our neighbor is anyone and everyone, and sometimes our neighbor is the most unlikely person that we encounter. Jesus, when he went through his life and ministry, noticed and cared for people that everyone else ignored. He noticed and cared for the blind. He noticed and cared for the lame. He noticed and cared for the leper, and you can go on and on and on. Jesus ate dinner with people that others viewed as sinners with absolutely no redeeming value to their lives. When Jesus taught people to pray... He said, you should begin like this, our Father in heaven. Think about that for a minute. He didn't say, you should begin my Father in heaven. He said, our Father. There was a fundamental inclusiveness in pretty much everything Jesus did and everything Jesus taught in his life. And after his death, burial, and resurrection, before he returned to glory, he told his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. In other words, he said, take my message to everyone everywhere. And so again, pretty much everything about the life and ministry of Jesus reflected inclusion and connection. It's no surprise then that after Jesus returned to glory and the church began, the church reflected those same values When you look at the very first church in Acts chapter 2, this is how it's described. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, note this, and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The first thing you notice is that word devoted. They devoted themselves. In the original language of the New Testament, it's a word of priority. It means to be steadfastly attentive or to continue all the time. And one of the things they devoted themselves to was fellowship. The word fellowship is the Greek word koinonia, and it's a word that basically means partnership or sharing. The idea is that when you become a Christian, you become a partner with Christ. You share life with Christ, but you also become a partner with and share life with every other Christian. That's the model of the very first church, and this is the expectation of God. And so I'm going to make what will probably sound like to some a bold statement. From a biblical perspective... It is indefensible for a Christian to fail to be connected to the life of a local church. And it's disobedient to the direct command of Scripture. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, the Hebrew writer says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on. See the connection in those words? Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And then he said, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let's encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. 
Simply stated, friends, the Bible doesn't envision the Christian life as one lived apart from other believers. And so if you're a Christian, you need to be actively and intimately involved in a local church. Let me say it like this. If you are a Christian, the Bible teaches that you need to be connected to and in a local church. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment and acknowledge that there have always been and there always will be people who say things like this. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian or I don't need to go to church to worship God or we don't go to church, we are the church or other similar things. And here's the deal. I'm not going to argue with anyone about those statements, but I am going to be unapologetic and steadfast in teaching what the Bible teaches about the need and the importance of being connected to church. In fact, I'm going to spend the rest of my time giving you four reasons why all of us need to be connected to the local church. If you're someone who likes to take notes, you can write down next to number one this first thing. Connection is God's plan because relationships are God's plan. Connection is God's plan because relationships are God's plan. Now, honestly, I've already talked about some of this. I talked about how when Jesus began his public ministry, he chose 12 disciples that he would share life with. I talked about how when the first church began, the members are described as being devoted to fellowship, which, remember, is a word that means partnership or sharing. Fellowship in its simplest terms is really just sharing life with someone. But beyond that, as you move through the New Testament and you get to the epistles, the epistles are the letters of the New Testament, you see a strong emphasis on relationships in what we call the one another commands or the one another instructions of the New Testament. And these come primarily from the writing of the Apostle Paul, who instructs us to do things like this, love one another, encourage one another, care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, live at peace with one another, respect one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, and on and on and on. And every one of these instructions requires a relationship. It requires a connection to someone else. You can't read about the church in the New Testament and not see that we were created for relationships, which means we were created for connection. I wish there was just one passage of Scripture I could refer you to that includes all of these different one another instructions, but there's just not. They're found throughout the New Testament, throughout the New Testament epistles. But I will give you just one example. These are the words of Paul from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 11. Paul writes and says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And so God's plan is to live out his one another instructions and commands through our relationships with one another. And so connection is God's plan because relationships are God's plan. Let me give you a second truth that comes from the Scriptures. Connection results in life change. One of God's great expectations for us when we become Christians is spiritual growth. I think Ephesians chapter 4 gives us the best description of that reality. Listen as I read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15. Paul writes and says, It was he, it was God, 
who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, note this, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so, clearly, God's will for all of us is that we experience spiritual growth, that we become more and more like Christ in every way. In fact, that's honestly the best description that I can give you for spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is simply becoming like Christ. That's the change that God wants to see in all of us. Now, there are certain things that have to be in place for this growth to happen. You've got to be focused on reading and studying and applying God's Word to your life. You've got to allow the Holy Spirit the freedom to work and to move inside of you, to reshape you and transform you from the inside out. And one very important part of spiritual growth that many people ignore is the role of other believers because here's a fundamental truth about spiritual growth. We grow best in community when we're connected to each other, in connection with each other. Let me try to illustrate that with a personal experience. Being a pastor can be a lonely life. And honestly, the larger the church that you serve, the lonelier that life can be because you feel like that there's no one in your life that really can understand or relate to the different challenges or the different needs or the different experiences that you go through on a day-to-day basis. That became really clear to me when I joined the board of an organization, a parachurch ministry called the Solomon Foundation back in 2011. All of a sudden, when I became a part of that board, I had the opportunity several times a year to sit in a room with other pastors of large churches, other megachurch pastors. And one of the things that happened as a result of that was personal growth in my life, primarily in the form of leadership. As I look back on it now, I know that happened because of the opportunity to be connected and share life with men who were in a similar role It happened when we talked about challenges and responsibilities and needs. One of the things I miss the most about being on the board of the Solomon Foundation is those relationships and those opportunities. I grew in the community of my fellowship with those men. I would imagine that everyone in our church that's connected to some kind of a small group, whether it's a group that meets in a home or a Bible study can understand what I'm saying. We grow, we experience spiritual growth when we are connected to other people. There have been times when I've experienced growth and and I probably even experienced what might be called life change as a result of listening to a sermon because the sermon was so powerful and so relevant and so convicting that it pierced my heart. But over the course of my life as a Christian, I've grown more as a result of sharing the reality of life, especially the challenges of life, with other believers like me. Other believers who wanted to make sure their life was pleasing to God like I did. You don't get that when you isolate yourself from others. Let me give you a third truth. Connection is a safety net. I want to tell you something that I believe is true for every single person listening to me today, even if I've never met you before. There's going to be a time for you when your life doesn't work. 
Maybe you've already experienced that time in your life. I'm reminded of the words of James in James chapter 1 and verse 2 when he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, notice he didn't say, if you face trials of many kinds. He said, whenever, when you face trials of many kinds. That word whenever is the Greek word hatan. And the way it's used here from a grammatical perspective carries the idea of the inevitability of trials. Not the possibility of trials, but the inevitability of trials. And James says those trials can come in all shapes and sizes. So I'm going to repeat what I said a moment ago. There's going to be a time when your life doesn't work. You're going to get a frightening diagnosis. You're going to lose your job. You're going to suffer some kind of emotional breakdown. You're going to experience loss. You're going to face a question that you can't answer and on and on and on. And when that day comes, you're going to need some help and support. It used to be that we would get that from our extended family or neighbors or work colleagues, and maybe for some that's still the case, but the truth is many of us no longer live close to our families, and many of us change jobs so often that we don't get close to our colleagues like we used to, and life is so busy that many of us never have the time to build meaningful relationships, to develop meaningful connections with our neighbors. That means all of us as Christians have to be very intentional about developing connections with other believers relationships. We find some valuable teaching about this in the book of Proverbs. In fact, here are some verses that stood out to me during my study this week. Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The idea behind that verse is that making friends too quickly without any discernment can lead to ruin. In the Hebrew, the word ruin literally means destruction, but a friend chosen wisely can be a great blessing. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. I don't think that needs any explanation. Proverbs 27 and verse 9 says, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart And the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Let me give you an important truth about friendship from the perspective of the Bible. And really, this is something I discovered several years ago when I was was studying through the life of David for a sermon series. And I was looking at the friendship, the deep friendship that David had with Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. Here's the truth. Real friendship is more like a covenant than a contract. Think about that for a minute. Real friendship is more like a covenant than a contract. And here's what I mean by that. It's easy for us to have a consumer mentality toward friendship. In other words, we make friends primarily for the benefit we receive from them. But when the relationship doesn't give us what we want or what we need any longer, we leave it. Or in other words, we break the contract or we don't renew the contract. But the Bible teaches us that real friendship is more like a covenant. And the idea behind a covenant is it's something that never ends. It's long-lasting. The Bible does warn us about fair-weather friends that those kinds of friendships that might fit into that contract relationship. Proverbs 19.4 says, Wealth brings many friends, but a poor man's friend deserts him. 
Now, there are friends around when you've got money, when you've won the lottery, but when all the money is spent, no one's left. It also tells us, and I'm going to go back to Proverbs 18.24, that there is a friend, that there are certain friends that come into our lives who stick closer than a brother. But here's the bottom line. There's going to be a time for all of us. There's going to come a time for you, for me, for all of us when life doesn't work anymore. Your life doesn't work anymore. Our life, the way we're experiencing it, doesn't work anymore. And when that time comes, you need the safety net of a friend or friends who love you enough to be there for you. One of my closest friends lives in Houston. He called me a couple of weeks ago and asked me if I would pray for him because he had just lost his job. It was one of the sad realities or consequences of the COVID-19 virus. So I've been praying for him every day since then. And I'm so thankful, I'm so glad that when he needed help, when he needed a safety net, he reached out to me because he knew that he could trust me. So let me ask you a question. Do you have that kind of connection with someone in your life or with different people in your life? You have that kind of safety net? The local church should be a place where that happens because the local church is a place where we all have certain things in common. And at the top of the list is this. All of us, at the end of the day, are just a bunch of sinners who are saved by and completely dependent upon the grace of God. And that puts all of us on a level playing field we should stand on that field and make every effort to be connected. Let me give you a fourth and final thing. And I apologize that this is going to sound negative. But most of us are bad when it comes to connecting. Most of us are bad when it comes to connecting. And I'm not really going to try to give an explanation for this point beyond telling you, and I think I've told you this before, that one of the most common things that people have said to me over the years, and this has been true in every church that I've served, is I don't have any friends. Maybe that's something that you would say. I think there are probably multiple reasons why that's often true, but the bottom line is this. For whatever reason, our fault, someone else's fault, most of us are bad when it comes to really connecting with other people. And the result of that is a lot of loneliness and emptiness and hurt. A couple of years ago, we had two older men here in our church who both died suddenly. I think it was in the same week. One was very well known. He and his wife were very well known because he was deeply connected to the church. And one wasn't well known at all, honestly, because... Even though they had been here for several years, he and his wife were just not connected. They weren't connected because pretty much all they did was come to church on Sunday morning and then leave. And I'll be a little transparent this morning and, or today rather and tell you that in the end, there were some hurt feelings from the family of this man who died who wasn't well known because... There just wasn't anybody to come alongside them. We didn't even find out about it for a while. He and his wife had never made any effort to connect with other people. It was really a sad situation, and honestly, it was heavy on my heart, and I grieved that for several days. 
One of the things that has worried me a lot over the past three months, as we've had nothing but online services, is the fact that while we have tried in different ways to stay in contact with as many people as possible, there are people that we haven't had any contact with because they've just not been connected. I apologize if that describes you and you feel like maybe you've slipped through the cracks. We need to be connected. We need to be a part of a church where we're connected. Church should be a place where we're connected for all the reasons I just talked about and so many more. We've got to stop be being consumers when it comes to our participation in church, and we need to start being contributors. And one way we contribute is by connecting to the lives of other people. That doesn't just enrich our lives. That enriches the lives of others. You know, along that same line, I would be lying if I told you I didn't have any concerns about the future of the church once the shutdown and the social distancing of the COVID-19 virus is over. I was reading a blog post of a church consultant I liked the other day, and he was talking about what church is going to be like in the future. And most church consultants are saying the same thing, that it's going to be a while before some people come back to church. And honestly, they're saying there's probably people who will never come back to church. That breaks my heart. I understand it on a certain level. I understand it because I know safety has got to be the highest priority when it comes to returning to church. But there was something that I read in this particular blog that was very discouraging to me. In fact, it made my heart sink, and I walked around feeling that way for a few days. The particular consultant whose blog I was reading made this conclusion in one of his paragraphs. He said that some people will find watching online preferable, and this is a direct quote, to the time and the hassle of coming to church in person. To the time and hassle of coming to church in person. I want you to listen to me really close. And I want to tell you, and I can say this with integrity, I am not speaking, I'm not saying this from a heart of judgment, I'm saying this from a heart of love. I completely understand a variety of reasons why someone might choose to stay home and worship online because of the COVID-19 virus. There are unknowns, there are vulnerabilities, there are emotional challenges that need to be considered. But if worshiping online is someone's choice because they view being at church in person as a waste of time and a hassle, then there's a fundamental misunderstanding about what the Bible teaches about the local church. The local church is a body, it's a community, it's a fellowship of believers together to worship God, experience spiritual growth, to serve and to edify each other. I love this online resource. I love what's happening right now. I'm so thankful that we had it in place when this COVID-19 virus shut everything down, I'm thrilled that every weekend we are engaging thousands of people, more people than ever before. And listen, moving forward, even when we return to in-person worship, we're going to continue to build on and improve this platform, this digital platform, this online campus. But, and maybe I'm just old-fashioned, the local church needs to always be a place of connecting. Because God is all about connecting. That's something that all of us need. You know, I've been thinking lately about the church that I grew up in in Tulsa, Oklahoma. 
And there have been times over the past few months when I have watched their service online, not live when it was happening. I watched it sometime later in the week. And usually what I would do is I would log on and I would watch the service. I would watch for a little while. And then, this is going to seem funny, but I would fast forward to the very end because I discovered the first time I watched that there was always a brief period of time, anywhere from 30 seconds to maybe a couple of minutes, where they left the camera on when the service ended. And I like to watch to see if anyone that I recognize passed by. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes I do. The people I recognize are all much older now. They're in their late 70s and their 80s. But seeing their faces always brings me some level of comfort. When I was growing up in that church, we always closed every service in the same way. There was always a prayer that was followed by the singing of an old, old hymn that some may recognize and some may not. It's called, Blessed Be the Tie that binds. And the words of the first verse is what we sang, and it, would go, it goes like this. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian loves, in love rather. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. That hymn was written by a man named John Fawcett, who was a pastor many, many years ago in England. He, he pastored a small, struggling country church for seven years with very little pay and what seemed like no real reward. But his family was growing, and he was struggling to make ends meet. And so one day, when he received a call to pastor a larger church in a city that paid a much larger salary, he accepted the call. He announced his resignation, and he began to make preparations to move his family. He packed up his family and one day climbed into a wagon and waved to all of the people of the church who had come together to say goodbye. But the scene was so emotional for him that he couldn't bring himself to leave. And so he got down off the wagon, he unloaded the family belongings, and he stayed in that church for another 45 years. And it was out of that experience that he wrote that song. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love, the fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And I've always understood that to mean that the fellowship or the connection that we experience to the local church today is just a little bit of a glimpse to what we will one day experience on a much grander level in heaven. The church needs to be a place where people are connected I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thanks so much for the chance to spend a few minutes in your word today. And I pray that you would take the truth of your word and the things that I have shared and impact our hearts with those things.
And I pray that we would understand that one of the greatest values and one of the greatest purposes of the local church is for us to have the opportunity to be connected to other believers so we can receive strength from them and they can receive strength from us. There simply is no place in the Scriptures for the believer who lives an isolated life. And so help us embrace the power of connection. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.